0: Welcome along to Crunching Gears, Season 1, Episode 7. This is a very special episode where I'm joined by one of the legends of Irish Rallying. This guy in the late 90s and early to mid 90s was one of the fastest drivers in Ireland. Andrew Nesbitt, a name synonymous with high speed rallying. Andrew's going to tell us in this episode about his early career and he'd first done won. goal one. And what happened afterwards? Andrew turned 60 this month, and I'd just like to think, wish him a very happy birthday, and really tell him how much I appreciate spending so much time with him over the last while, bringing this all together. I hope you enjoy it as much as I hope enjoyed recording it. Um, I think, you know, I've been out watching stages yesterday and again this morning, and, you know, Andrew has got the very best technology, there's no doubt about that. Fair play to the guy, he's also making the very best use of it. He's driving the car in the middle of the road, and and there's just no way these guys are going to stay in touch with him.
1: Well, the rally's only half over, as you know, and uh, for me it's very hard to keep the concentration. Uh, I think the only thing is to continue maximum attack.
0: So we're not uh, going to see a half effort, we're going to see a full effort. Yeah, absolutely. Comes way back, come back, come back, come back, For the wall keeps coming back, comes back, come back. Airplane Johnson, right 26, left 26, wind up 26, left 26, 26, square left 24, double square right 24, times downhill, easy, Andrew, easy,
1: easy, easy. This is Nesbitt territory, his commitment on this stage has never been in question, despite the fact that he's perished on it in the past now in these conditions on these tires his
0: commitment is even more impressive and he takes a staggering 24 seconds off eugene brady fisher and andrew nesbitt have made the 1999 event a classic as we have already said never has so much been provided for so many by so few
2: this week in crunching gears the podcast we speak to the legend andrew nesbitt andrew welcome to crunching gears
1: It's a pleasure to be on the radio with you today, Kevin, on Crunching Gears, uh, the whole way from Donegal, believe it or not. and uh, It's a real pleasure to be on with you today.
2: Thank you very much. We're going to have a wee look back here at your career through the years. Uh, How did you get involved in rallying in the first place, Andrew?
1: Well, that, that goes away back to probably 76, 77. And in seventy-six I was sixteen years old and I remember going to watch the Circuit of Ireland way back in the day with a couple of friends from Katie and Darkley, Eric Nesbitt was his name. And we we went to watch this motorsport coming through the forest down in Newcastle. And I really felt, you know, the need for speed back then and mm-hmm. it was always about how quickly could I get my driving licence, how quickly could I get a car. Could I keep it on the road? (laughs) It turned out to be a bit of a problem because I I did achieve getting the license in 77 September on my birthday, which was the 2nd of September. And uh, 10 days later, I was leaving a friend home from a dance outside Armagh. And um, we managed to put it through the hedge and take four four concrete posts out at the time. Remember the concrete posts sticking right bang in the front of the radiator of the beautiful Cortina E-Type. It used to be my aunt's car from uh, Castle Blaney and my dad did a bit of a deal with her to get the car and but lo and behold it didn't last too long. We run out of talent just outside Newton Hamilton and I suppose that was this, that was the start of me getting into the need for speed as we talk about and mm-hmm. from there on I I was on my own. I can tell you when it came to cars after that, because if you hit them, you had to fix them. And but at that time, way back in the early 70s, uh, we were working around South Armagh and the borders we were international animal livestock movers at the time. And we all, you know, I just loved driving. And mm-hmm. each time I got a car, I just needed to get one a little bit faster and quicker and so I did that for three or four years, but th- believe it or not, the money ran out very quickly because I think I was on my third car within seven or eight months, and obviously we was running out of talent at a serious rate of knots yeah. and money. <laughs> and but you know what? I, I I got to know the roads around home very well around the back of Darkley and Newton Hamilton and Delaney. and lo and behold. For a few years later then, the, the Circuit of Ireland used to come round those roads. And I always had this urge to to compete in the Circuit of Ireland and to compete in motorsport. So back in 1977, a friend of mine, Trevor Henry, the late Trevor Henry, mm-hmm. had bought a Mark I Escort and he decided he'd start rallying that. And I became his navigator, believe mm-hmm. it or not, at right. a very young age of 17. Mm-hmm. And... That gave me the encouragement and the need to, you know, get my own car and start driving. So I navigated for two or three rallies. And I remember the first rally going to it was Monaghan and shouting at him to slow down. You know, <laughs> you don't do that when you're trying to win a rally. And he, we got to the end of the stage and he says, Andrew, you have to encourage me to go harder not to slow down the problem for me was I wasn't in control of the car
3: yeah.
1: nor the steering wheel. And at that point, you know, after my second event, I realized I had to have the steering wheel side and not the navigator side. So that was um, probably the start of my rallying back in the day. So I you know, I was doing that for two or three years and believe it or not, I gave it up then because I run out of money
3: uh-huh.
1: and started pulling tug of war. For Northern Ireland, first of all, for Rich Hill.
3: Yeah.
1: And then secondly, for Northern Ireland. And we competed at world level, world championship level at the time. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we we competed against people like Zaboli from the Republic of Ireland, the teams from Spain and Italy and Germany and Canada, USA, all over the world. Mm-hmm. And that in itself was a great uh, sport for me because I, I had to be very... Fit, um, very oriented towards training, very disciplined, uh, and I was for for those three or four years of motor, uh, in, in the tug war field. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I moved to Dublin to start working for the company I now own in partnership with my colleagues, and that was to uh, carry on with my refrigeration ca- career. I, I went, I started off with AN and Mm-hmm. back in the day in, outside Armagh in a little place called Tassa and it's a very famous now for Basil Shields' pub uh, mm-hmm. and, and you know you, you see the truck run every year and the tractor run that mm-hmm. Sean McCardle, who also
3: uh-huh. I
1: competed with in, in Donegal over the years mm-hmm. I actually went to school with Sean
4: right.
1: so the motorsport was around us at the time and people like Winston uh henry yeah he was a great mark ii escort man if you remember the yellow b-i-b double eight double eight eight, well he was so encouraging in the area for us young boys to get into motorsport Mm -hmm. and uh, following that we we had another guy called derek henry trevor henry derek was a bit of a wild card he would have went for a pound of butter on a sunday for his mother and wouldn't have come home with a car you left it around some a lamppost or something. It was. It, it seemed to be the norm. I think he went through about 10 different cars in a two-year period. And every one of those cars, he was just going to the shop for the mother. But it was hilarious. But those guys always had the need for speed in the South Armagh. And I suppose it rubbed off on myself. The likes of Norman Armstrong and David Armstrong and now the younger ones, Brian, and all of those lads, they're all brought up, Around rally cars, and we had a great collection of people in the in the countryside that were all the only thing they looked for was driving cars, mm-hmm. and we'd been closing roads off, or even going into the forest. There was a forest outside Newton Hamilton, and a friend of mine, back in the day, 1978, and he says, "Andrew, would you give me a spin in your rally car?" And at this time, I had a mark, a yellow rx3 mazda with a zooped up engine in it and a half roll cage and i said no problem at all i didn't even take time to put the shoes on i went barefooted, jumped into the car got him into the car and it happened to be the 12th of july in newton hamilton that year so we went out out into the forest anyway and we were going great guns and he says this is some fun andrew and i said absolutely we come down into this square right and then a square left or whatever you would have called it in my notes now and uh got her down through the gears first gear didn't I turn the corner too quickly hit the inside wheel and rolled at five mile an hour onto his roof upside down oh my goodness and i had no shoes i had to walk barefooted for one and a half miles out of that forest, it was the worst experience of my life in terms of footwear. I can tell you. So that was that was me starting my rally career back in the day.
3: Yeah,
1: and you know we we had we had a great time. Yeah. Would I would do it all over again? Absolutely. But you know, uh, then moving forward after the tug of war, I, I competed at that uh, at international level uh, throughout the world for five years, four years in total mm-hmm. pulling the rope and then two years actually coaching. And we coached that team, it was the Rich Hill team and there there's many great characters in that and they've gone on since to won the world championships three times in a row in, over the last 10 years. And at that time it was all about diet mm-hmm. food, and the food you eat and the miles you covered. We used to actually go across the moors every Sunday morning, we do 10 miles running Mm-hmm. And we only ever had an hour and a half to do it. We were timed, yeah. and by, my goodness, it was a tough session. And if someone failed, which
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, someone might have cut their knee or hurt their ankle, mm-hmm. their mates had to carry them home. There was no such thing as not finishing the mm-hmm. the, t- the test run. Right. It was brutally hard. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I learned how to be physically fit and look after my diet, and my my whole weight program, and that that stood to me when I got into motorsport, uh, seriously, a a few years later. I remember in 1988, Mm -hmm. Langley Humphreys from Belfast was selling his green and white Mark II Escort. Mm -hmm. It was the most beautiful car, and I called up to see him, and he was stopping rallying because he was just after getting married. I was starting rallying because I was just after getting married. (laughs) It was one of those rarities, it was great, and uh, to be allowed to go and buy my first proper uh, rally car, it was a 2.4 Holby engine, Mark II Escort, and for those who know the car, it was so quick, and it was so torquey, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and I used to race the likes of the Opelman to 400s with that car, I remember racing Billy Coleman, sorry, it was, let me think, it was a green Opel 400. I mean, it was oh, Billy Connolly's car. Yes,
3: Stevie Emerson. Red, Red
1: Mills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, Brad Morphy, by the way, was sitting with
3: me
1: uh-huh. uh, with the cars up until that very day. And Ronan McNamee sat in with me because right. Brian couldn't uh, uh, sit with me that day. Uh-huh um he had a bereavement at the time and i remember ronan sitting in and ronan was a world champion world navigator
3: uh-huh. and he
1: navigated for pentia ricula at the time and he put the rally overalls on and the helmet and said andrew i'll sit with you and we were coming we were doing the cooley mountains and we were coming to the last stage all we had to do was finish the stage uh-huh. Uh, we had the rally won by probably one and a half, over one and a half minutes. Right. And the next thing, these beautiful four woolly sheep came off the side of the mountain in front of me.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And being an animal lover that I am, I <laughs> swerved to miss them. I regret doing that, I can tell you. I swerved to miss them. And I hit a rock with the back wheel of the car. I was doing, we were going pill at the time, of all things. And we were doing about 118 mile an hour uphill this thing could go well here we we hit the rock anyway and we fortunately went up the bank on the right-hand side uh-huh. I hit, hit a rock about I don't know 25 meters up the hill hit the rock rolled the car we went flying back onto the road we both took a bit of a hammering, Ronan McNamee's helmet split in two and he was okay, thank yeah. God. It had begun gone off on the left, would have been still rolling. It You would have rolled for about one and a half to two miles down that mountain. Oh yeah.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And we were so lucky, crashed on the, uh-huh. albeit a bad crash, Yeah, but on the right side of the mountain, not to actually keep rolling forever. Uh-huh. And Ronan, I remember uh-huh. so clearly, we got yeah. out of the car and we walked up to the next junction, which was only about 150 metres away and Ronan took the helmet and he says Andrew do you see that helmet there? I do it's cracked into he says I am never sitting in a rally car again
3: right.
1: I am going to focus on my job which was cuisine de France at the time yeah.
3: uh-huh.
1: and he never sat in a rally car again right. ever he got the biggest fright of his life in that uh-huh. car so we 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 scrapped the we hit the car so mm-hmm. hard it had to be scrapped after that, but I actually sold that car uh an engine at the time in down to tangree. Tommy Reed was his name
2: right yeah. and
1: Tommy was a great man for Formula Fords and rally cars and mud plugging and all of this
3: mm-hmm.
1: but the reason he wanted that car was he heard about this two point four hulby engine yeah and he specialized in building engines but he wanted to get his hands on this engine Uh to put it on the dyno that he had because he couldn't believe the torque that was coming out of this car and it was fit to beat. it was fit to beat Opel manta 400s easily Uh yeah that's how quick it was Uh so it was probably the fastest mark ii escort in ireland at the time and probably remained as the fastest mark ii escort for all of twenty years, onto this new technology has uh-huh, come out, yeah. uh-huh. Millingtons and all of the the new tech that the, the boys are uh-huh. building. So that's where that car went, uh-huh. and that's where the car finished up. Yeah, but that was my Mark II entry into Donny in that car.
2: Yes, right. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> two years and the month, and uh, Mark II that time, didn't you? Um, yeah, that was the, uh, that was the Mark II. Yeah. I think it, we
1: we first. Ren Murphy and I went to Donegal for the first time. I'm going to say, is it 88? eighty-eight?
2: Eighty-eight, right? Yep. Uh-huh.
1: And we, I think we finished in the top twenty. Yeah, 70, Pro- 20, yeah probably. Yeah. Probably, I'm going to say sixteenth overall, out of a field of 150 cars at the time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I now know it's restricted to 140, but it was 150 at the time, and that was that was our entry into Donegal, and we absolutely loved it. Uh-huh. And it was also the first time to get to meet, you know, the, the people who run the motorsport at the time, uh-huh. the likes of Cynthia Fury and Ivan Fury and Matt Doherty and all of those people back in the day. And it, it was great. But you know what? They, they they gave us a lesson in terms of you weren't allowed to be coming up stages the back ways,
4: You uh-huh.
1: know, doing wrecking had to be done only in a single direction and all of that. But the likes of Austin, McHale and myself, we had a taken, taken a run back just to shorten the stage. Uh-huh. But I can tell you we, we, were, we were given a very strong lesson at the time not to do that. <laughs> you didn't do it twice? Or, 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 you, or, or you were sent home. Yes. <laughs> and it, it, it was great. Yeah. So that, that car was very, very, it was a great car. It was very lucky to mm-hmm. both Brian and I at the time it was a very important part of our rallying career. Mm-hmm. It gave us the pace, and then I, the following year we came back. We went, we did Lurgan Park straight after that, and you know we were probably the new kids in the block, and that's what we were. We were kids. So we were mm-hmm. a little bit wild behind the ear, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the car was just amazing, mm-hmm. and it really stood to us. And then we came back the following year to Donegal, uh, we finished sixth overall,
3: mm-hmm. which
1: was quite an achievement in a yeah. Mark II effort yeah. with the field that was there. Mm-hmm. You had Bertie Fisher, you had Austin McHale, you had Vincent Bonner, mm-hmm. you had all the big names at the time mm-hmm. rallying in Ireland. And mm-hmm. to, to get to get into the middle of them in the top 10 was was really something else, you know. We thought we had won the rally even though we were yeah. only six overall. It was uh, one of those great things and then we, as I said to you earlier, we took that car to to Dundalk to the Glen Devlin Rally, Hotel mm-hmm. Rally at the time. And uh, yeah, we, we we made sad work of it mm-hmm. uh, going up and up the hill.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so then the, the Mark II then was replaced with a Manta then uh, for 1990. Um, And as you mentioned before, Brian Murphy also was a very important part of your career too, wasn't he? And then the Manta uh, let you get your first taste of champagne. You won Calvin before Donegal that year again, too, didn't you?
1: We did. You know, Calvin was a great place for us. It was very lucky for us because, you know, we've won Donegal International six times. But the national rounds in Calvin were so important as the training ground before you do the international and you know i think we, yeah we've won it seven times actually
3: uh-huh. in a row yeah
1: with, with different cars yeah each year we had a different car and there was a car in between
3: uh-huh.
1: before i got to the, All right, yeah. to the manta 400 we had a g3 a g3 yeah. escort
3: uh-huh.
1: and my goodness what a handful uh-huh. you you needed to be a bodybuilder to steer at it. It, it, it. it honestly, I remember doing the Monaghan rally. We finished second uh, overall to Vincent Bonner at the time.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And we we were never going to be fit to beat him because this thing was just a handful. And you'd be going down the stage and the straight of the road, I'd be having to take my hands off the steering wheel and steer with my knees to get the to get my wrists working again. Right, it was yeah. such a handful. And I said to Brian after that rally, I said, Brian, this thing has to go because we're never going to win anything with this. Right. And at the same time, uh-huh. uh, Brian said to me, you know what, we'll take a wee little break, Andrew. We'll head off on a holiday. And we finished up in Kenya, okay, in Mombasa. Uh-huh. But on the way to Mombasa, Brian, didn't he buy the motoring news at Gatwick Airport? No, we were reading the, news, reading the papers anyway and when we got to Mombasi we were sitting around the pool one day and he says, Andrew, see that car there? If you bought that car hey, you become the groom. Okay. We're always going to be the bridesmaid in that G3. Yeah. In other words, you're going to be second place. Yeah. I said to him, Brian, wow, that would be something else. He says, now I know you can't afford it. It's 27 and a half thousand and you're building a house. Well, building the house actually had a lot to do with it. We had no money to buy the car, but we had a very good bank manager that was assisting me with the loan of the money to build the house.
3: Yeah,
1: This is through Bill. And Brian and I were sitting at the pool the following morning and I said, Brian, I've come up with a great idea. But you've got to promise me, you can't tell anyone, you won't tell anyone. I said, he says, what's the idea? I said, do you know the way we're building the house? If I ring Morris Johnson in the Dankske Bank, I think he would give me a bit more money to put the roof in the house. He says, but Andrew, you're not putting the roof on the house. <laughs> no, but if I used the money that has to go into the roof of the house to buy the Manta, we could rally it for 68 months and then we sell it and we put the roof in the house. Oh. Brian says, oh, don't do that, Andrew! Oh, please don't do that. I said, why? It's a great idea. He says, I know. But he says, what happens if we crashed and the thing went on fire? We'd lose, we'd lose that amount of money. I said, well, there'd be no roof going on the house, Brian, that's for sure. <laughs> we preceded, We proceeded the phone. Wales, anyway, uh, a guy called Ian Pritchard, who has rallied in Ireland since many times yeah. along with his son, uh, and he and I became great friends. But I remember phoning him from mombasa and he said to me, "If you want that car, you need to get a deposit to me straight away." Uh-huh. And I says, "How much of a deposit do you want?" He says, "A minimum of five hundred pounds. I said, "Would you wouldn't hold it like it back from Africa?" He says, "No." He says, You're one of these Irish guys? Mm-hmm. No, if you want the car, you pay up now. <laughs> so I had to I had to get the phone home and get my brother Alan, who took up rallying after that as well. And he sent the five hundred pound out for me. So that was back in ninety-two.
3: Uh-huh.
1: So we were building the house. We had no money, yeah. but we used the roof <laughs> money from the roof of the house to buy the rally car. <laughs> and, we hadn't we hadn't at home a wet week until we won Cavan in it. Yeah, and uh, that was the entry point into it was LXI six five eight. I'll never forget it. Uh-huh. And got Philip White tires to sponsor me, and uh-huh. we, we got the whole thing going at the time, and uh, it, it was some fun. Uh-huh. It was just amazing. So we won we won Cavan that year in that car.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And you look at it, it, that was the, really the start of a, a serious rally career between Brian Murphy and myself. Mm-hmm. And we, as I said to you earlier we went on to win Calvin seven times, yeah. and each yeah. each year it was just such a laugh. And mm-hmm. then we took we took that car to Donegal,
3: yeah.
1: and we were doing really well. I think we were laying in the top five in the car overall, and didn't I pick up a little pebble and I threw the oil belt off,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and that that was the one thing that the Opel Manta had a weakness with it would always throw the, the oil belt off if it got a little stone in between it right and lo and behold Vincent Bonner threw me out of the belt got yeah. her onto the car and away we went but right. we we went back down the field that
2: time yeah. and I'm not so sure where we finished You, you pulled back up to seventh. like after losing two minutes um, the, and yeah. the, the, the coverage was on there the other night and um, Motorsport Ireland had acquired the, the rights to the RPM and the interview, you yeah. and you could see even back in 1990 you were determined that you were going to be up there, you know, you were disappointed that you had lost us two minutes, that you were out of the, 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 the fight for the lead I suppose, you know, you wanted to be up yeah. there them, with the Fishers, the McHale's, the, all these guys, you know?
1: Well that's a good one we finished in the top seven because mm-hmm. I think we were way down failed mm-hmm. field, way beyond a hundred and something, Right. two minute drop. But there you go, that's it. That's what competition's about. And and back then, it was all about competing against yourself to see how quickly you can be. Get your stage times. And the only way you're going to get stage times against the best is to, to drive as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. And, and over the years, any time if I got a puncture or slid off, I was always determined to get back on as soon as I could to at least – learn the pace of the better drivers at the time right because that's the only way you're going to win
3: yeah
1: and uh, if you look at the stage times i think we were right in there again mm-hmm. albeit mm-hmm. um we we, we that the oil belt had slipped off the car at that time mm-hmm. but the manta was very very good to us it was a great car yeah. and it was actually a lightweight car it was it came from new zealand and ian pritchard had found that car it was one of the works cars and there were only ever 10 of them, I think, at the time. Right. And I remember we won Calvin, and I got a phone call the following day from Bertie Fisher Andrew, can I come and see this car of yours? Because mm-hmm. he had a lightweight Manta. Yeah. And he thought he had the only one in Ireland
3: mm-hmm.
1: until until our car arrived.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember him getting down and looking at the car. It was in the garage in Armagh, and Graham, my son, uh, was there and he was looking up at Bertie, who was his idol. Yeah. Just idolized Bertie. And, and he was looking at him and saying, You're Bertie Fisher. And Matthew was, look at, he was, or, sorry, Graham was only a young boy at the time. And Bertie was down looking at the car and he knew by looking at the suspension and the setup of the suspension whether it was a lightweight car or not.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And he, I remember him standing up, he said, this, but I don't know how you got it, but this is the real deal.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And that was the real the, the, yeah. the real McCoy. And if you remember then, we went to, uh, we did the Donegal Rally, finished really well.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then within two weeks, we went to Lorgan Park. And as the footage will show you, we went for a bit of a sail. And
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> took a couple of bushes out, <laughs> took the back quarter panel with it. Uh, at least at least the car didn't go on fire we still no. have the money to put the roof of the house <laughs>
3: oh it's yeah.
1: hilarious the things you do for 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 the love of your sport
2: yes uh, i'm just looking here at 91 uh you hired one of the john price medals for Donegal yes. that year uh, yeah. it? that must have been some experience I think, I think an h group b car uh john price would have been probably like the man to get a Metro at that time and all, too. Like he recently died there, too, I suppose,
1: didn't he? He didn't, he Yeah, he didn't, sadly. He was he was a great man for the 6R4 Metros and he yeah. always had the best cars. But that year, he actually brought a pup with him. That right. car that I got into I couldn't steer it. I couldn't. Yeah. It must have been set up for circuit racing or something because it definitely wasn't set up for the roads of Donegal. Uh-huh. And I remember it was so fast.
3: Yeah,
1: But it kicked and bounced and buckled all over the place. Even the test we were testing before the rally, Brian and I, in Donegal. Uh-huh. And I, it was giving me the follow it just to hold the car on the road. So how we were going to do well in the Donegal rally was really beyond us. Because I remember saying to John Price, we need to insure this car. Mm-hmm. Oh, he says, Andrew, oh, most definitely. Says, but that's going to cost you three thousand pounds. What? Three thousand pounds? Anyway, we wrestled the money up between the sponsors at the time, and we had. I remember going to Raymond Donnelly at the time from Donnelly Motors in Dungannon, and he gave me this beautiful bit of sponsorship at the time. It was five hundred pounds, and a dear John letter with it. What's a dear John letter? Dear John. This is i'm definitely going to spon- sponsor you because you're a great guy and you're, you're going to do so much for irish motorsport but that was the first and last he ever
3: sponsored
1: it was a thank you letter now you've got your money now get out of here so, so i want to say a big special thank you to raymond donny for doing that and to turns who's now gone from strength to strength i think in the back of sponsoring me actually but <clears throat> So we were doing really well. And Kenny Colbert, he had a 6R4 Metro. And I was saying to Kenny, this car is not handling well at all. And he looked at the car and he says, Andrew, the wrong suspensions in that car. And the springs are too low. Just be careful when you you come to the big bumps of Donegal. We were doing really well. But way up the back of Milford Mart, we were doing that well. I could see this straight ahead of us. And we were flying. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there was a dip in the road, and the car kicked. And it would just remind you of one of those horses that you see the cowboys trying to break yeah. in the Wild West. This thing kicked near, and I swear to you, it must have jumped at least fifteen to eighteen foot in the air. Right. And I remember looking down at the road. Standing in the car holding on to the steering wheel, and Brian's there going total silence. Yeah, and I'm saying, Brian, hold on, hold on. Because if that's the way it went up in the air, <laughs> what, way was it, what was it going to not do when it came back down again? Well, it came back down, and let me tell you, up she went again, mm-hmm. and she jumped this time at least 12 feet in the air. Now, we were totally out of control, yeah. And all it felt like it was rising. It wasn't coming down. It was rising in the air. Uh-huh. And I clearly remember hitting a four tree at about 15 foot high <laughs> with the side of the car. And Brian got an awful slap on the side of his helmet. And I used to have these little volume controls because as you know, I'm partially deaf. Yeah. And I perfected these little volume controls in the side of the helmets. We bought them out of England specially for us and didn't take uh, the side of the button, the volume control off Brian's helmet.
3: Uh-huh.
1: At the same time he hit the tree with his with his head.
3: Yes.
1: And he hadn't a clue where he was. And I go on, oh my goodness, when this thing comes down, what's gonna happen? Well, I then proceeded to hit the side of a rock with my uh-huh. helmet and it took the, the switch of my helmet. And here, lo and behold, I got such a good clatter in the side of the head, my my eye started spinning in my socket in my head. Right. And I remember holding, getting the helmet off when we landed. Now at this point, sorry, I forgot uh-huh. to tell you, we had taken all the wheels off it.
2: Right.
1: Here was a 6R4 World Rally car, no wheels. Yeah. And a ball of scrap. And in the middle of the whole thing, I remember, did I pay John Price the insurance money for this car because he's going to need it. <laughs> and I was still I was still in the middle of the accident thinking of this. And all of a sudden, we got landed anyway, and fortunately she landed into the side of the ditch
3: mm-hmm.
1: after taking the top of the four tree out.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Landed anyway, and I got such a slap. The eye was spinning in my socket. I said, Brian, are you all right? Oh yeah. He says, next corner, are you ready for it? Next corner, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the notes here. He hadn't a clue where, where he was. He'd been knocked out. And he was talking the greatest load of stuff. And I realized at that point I had to get him out of the car. And I got out of the car and we were, the, the helmets were absolute pieces. Got him out of the car anyway. And I remember holding my eye with one hand and holding his hand with the other hand and me trying to guide him. Because I knew the way he was talking, there was only two. The only place for both of us was the hospital yes. to, to see what damage was done. And anytime I took my hand from my eye, my eye socket, I could see the sky, I could see the ground, I could see the yeah. four trees, I could see the rema- the remainder of a six R4 car. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And we, so we started walking towards uh, the end of the stage. And every car that came along, I was holding on to Brian because he, he did not know where he was. He was yeah. still knocked out, mm-hmm. But he was walking, walking wounded. That's what I called him at the time. Mm-hmm. And we come round this corner anyway and up, up against an old school, there was a bicycle sitting.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, Brian, we'll, we'll borrow the bicycle. And we put the helmets back on us. This is true, Bill. We put the helmets back on. They were in absolute sh one t but we put them on anyway yeah. because I knew that I had to get Brian to hospital as fast as I could, plus myself, because this uh-huh. this I was spinning away. That was some fun. Uh- so we borrowed the bicycle. We borrowed the bicycle. I hope Ivan and Cynthia Fury is listening to this. We borrowed the bicycle. <laughs> no, there was no one there. We were reminded afterwards that we stole the bike. <laughs> Well, it was an emergency situation,
3: yeah.
1: and I got Brian onto the back of her. It was one of those seats in the back of her for holding a lunchbox and, yeah. and a real. It was a rally bicycle,
3: uh-huh.
1: black one, with a set of a sheep horn handlebars on her. I'll never forget <laughs> it. And we headed down that stage as hard as we could go to try and get help. And I remember jumping onto the bike, and just as we were jumping onto the bike, there was this sign saying. Uh, Scrap yard. And I said to this young fella, by the way, there's boys coming to lift that car, send her to the scrapyard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the only place for, uh, you know, oh my goodness. Get on the bicycle anyway, and I cycled as hard as I could with Brian on the back. never thinking there was no brakes on the bike. <laughs> well, we came to the first T-junction uh-huh. and everybody was standing at the T-junction. And Brian's in the back, and I'm waving, <laughs> waving for them to get out of the road. And at the same time, I had slid, I was sliding the heels of my boots to try and get this damn bicycle stopped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I says, "Hospital, hospital, take us to the hospital." We went through the tape right mm-hmm. at a rate of knots on a rally bicycle. We finished their stage all right. It was on the bicycle that we borrowed, well, maybe stolen, but. That, that that was so funny and thankfully there was an ambulance there and they took us to hospital and i remember the two of us getting examined mm-hmm. x-rayed but brian had come around at that stage but we had to have a head x-rays and as uh, someone said at the time the boys it's not the head that we need to examine he says your brains is a long way from your head the way you were
3: driving <laughs> <to Australia." laughs>
1: says, <laughs> so need to be checking for your it was so funny. But look at—we were okay. We—we we turned out that yeah. there was no no major damage done, other than the eye. And the eye, my eye, settled in. And uh, oh, my goodness! It was just one of those days uh-huh. in the Nesbitt camp. But yeah. that metro was uh-huh. just completely and utterly destroyed.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And I said to John Price afterwards, John, John, I'm really sorry, I'm so glad I insured the car before we went on that excursion. He says, oh, I never got time to
2: put the money into the insurance, <laughs> <laughs> Poor fella. but anyway, that, that was it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know they put you off the Metros because you you returned, you bought one then for the 92 season. Um, I did. So like,
1: you must have liked them. <laughs> Do you know what? It was a great fast. It was a great car. Look at right. six R fours. Yeah, Tony Pond. All of these famous names at the time were all driving them. And the only thing I needed to do was get one that I could tame, right? And that would actually compete in Ireland uh, and, and get the right suspension. And, and with the help of Kenny Colbert at the time, I, I, I did get a good car. And I remember saying to Kenny, "Have I got the right suspension?"
3: Mm-hmm. And I, I met
1: this guy from London had the car, and he was selling the car because he was just after getting married. Right. And what was his name? He was a Greek. Oh, Cyprian.
2: even or something like that. Wasn't
1: it? I used to call him Papadopoulos. So <laughs> it sounded near enough. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember going over to his house and staying with him. And yeah. bought the car, and he was so good. He gave me everything yeah. uh, that he had with that car, and it was a really lucky car. <laughs> that. That was a mint car, but you know what? Brian Murphy would tell you if he was here today, that, and he'd be listening into this, I have no doubt, it was a neurodynamic brick.
3: Right, yeah.
1: Because the harder you went, if there was any side wind at all, you couldn't control it. And I remember during the stages in Donegal, and it was probably the first time in my life I actually had to slow down. We were going so hard, and, and, and depending which shaft you hit in the car, you could, that thing could do up to 150 mile an hour. Right, yeah. But my goodness, see when there was a side wind came at you, uh-huh. and we were going through this valley on the Saturday morning, and we were going up the main road and there was a big right hand corner coming at us. and We were going, probably we had her up to about 135 at this point,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and the wind started taking it sideways. And I'm going, no, 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 not again, not again, not again. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I got it slowed down enough yeah. to, to not go off the road, but the wind took control of the car. And Brian says, Les, but what are you at? Uh-huh. What are you at? He says, we have to finish this rally. I says, Brian, I had nothing to do with that. That was the wind taking the car sideways. Uh-huh. I went right up the road sideways at 135 mile an hour. Like it was going to be the biggest accident Donegal ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> and... I got the car slowed down and I remember clearly after it saying this car has to go uh-huh. because if it's going to control me uh-huh. I, have, I have no control yeah. especially at high speed but I'm going to take you back before that we did the uh-huh. cabin rally
3: Yes.
1: in that car and we won the Cavan rally this is the funny story I wonder should I tell you it or not <laughs> I, I probably have to tell you, you
3: have to know,
1: yeah. <laughs> we went to Calvin rally anyway and the great Bertie Fisher along with Rory Kennedy were doing the rally in a works Subaru mm-hmm. and they were going to do their t- they were the they went to Cavan that day to test the car for the Donegal international rally
4: yeah.
1: and we were doing the Calvin rally as a test for the Donegal Rally also, uh-huh. but never expecting to win against Bertie Fisher in a works Subaru. Yeah. And I remember Gene Megan, he was my mentor at the time. Gene was super. He he said to me, Andrew, today's your day. He says, you come with me for a walk. So we walked up the street in Calvin and back down again and if Gene said you could do something, well, you had to believe him. Mm-hmm. He believed that I could win this rally, more than I did actually. But he put, he put that sort of edge into me, that if I controlled the whole show properly, I could win it. Well here, we started off anyway, and there was only four seconds between Bertie and I for nine stages. Now, the first three stages, I got four seconds up on him. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: The second three stages, he brought the four four seconds back. Mm -hmm. And the third three stages, I took another four seconds back. So that meant we, after the ninth stage, we were leading the rally by four seconds. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Well, guess what happened? Now, out of all of the rallying in Cavan, there was only ever three stages done three times. Uh And that was the way it was for the six years that we had won it. Mm Well, what happens? We come out of the end of the ninth stage and Brian says to me, Morphy says to me, Nesbitt, you're after beating Fisher and, and Kennedy. Yeah. And he goes, Yo, And I goes, Yo. <laughs> and we were like celebrating. And uh, there's a place called Nobby's Pub,
3: uh-huh.
1: a half a mile from the end of that stage. And I said, we'll, we'll pull in here. I will get a quick little glass of water no it was a pint of I'll be very <laughs> honest we had a pint of and each and Brian says we'll have another one Now we shouldn't have been doing that <laughs> because we thought we had the rally won
3: yeah.
1: and, and I do not agree with drink and drink but this did happen and this young fella came in to the pub to use the toilet and he said to me he says Mr Nesbitt what are you doing in here I says we're after winning the rally he says, indeed, and you didn't. He says, there's another stage. I looked at Brian, and he looked at me. I says, that's rubbish. There's only ever been nine stages in the Calvin rally. Mm-hmm. Well, this year, they decided to run a tenth one. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious me. Oh, my God. And here we were, after sculling back a couple of pints of Sonics, And, you know, I probably shouldn't have won the rally, because I shouldn't have been driving, but we, we drove down to the service area, the service area, we were late.
3: Uh And
1: the boys had to follow us out the road to the start of the stage. And Brian and I weren't speaking to each other at this point.
3: Uh
1: And the lads arrived out with the fuel Uh can. And, uh, oh my goodness, my heart was beating. Here we are. And we had to drive past 30 cars to get up to the front Uh of the rally. We were four seconds in the lead. Bertie Fisher was at the start line mm-hmm. and I had to pull around past him and off we went, well we didn't go off, we were counted down three minutes, stage actually had been delayed
3: mm-hmm.
1: and we were counted down anyway and Brian says are you okay to drive? And I wouldn't speak to him, they asked me three times and the third count he says Andrew please answer me, are you okay to drive this rally car? I says you're soon going to find out Brian. <laughs> <laughs> and off we went, as hard as she would go, and I remember the last corner to this day of that rally. It, you come over this crest and the hill went down, went downhill about a quarter of a mile to the finish line. And I remember riding the wall on the top of the crest with the metro.
2: Yeah.
1: We were clean off the road and we rode the side of the wall and came back down onto our wheels right. and finished that stage. And I remember looking in the mirror, counting one second, two seconds, three, the whole way through to see how many seconds it would take before uh-huh. um, Bertie and Rory would come around the corner. And if I got it right, it was exactly 30 seconds from the minute I stopped right. at the at the time clock.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And if that was the case, we would have won the rally. Yes. Guess what? We We had exactly the same time. And we won that rally by four seconds.
3: Uh-huh. And
1: then we got yeah, back to town.
3: Yeah, and yeah, celebrate.
1: <laughs> Continue to celebrate. <laughs> 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 oh
2: my goodness. Anyway. Yes. I should so oh, oh, saw all that oh, year all, then. All, uh, all I the all the that like year. And you went on to finish uh, fourth, but you had road penalties. If it hadn't been for them penalties, you probably would have been second overall. Like that was. No, the metal weaving at that stage was what seven eight years behind the technology stakes. That was some result, wasn't it? Really,
1: it was a great result. And but do you know what? We probably would. We were definitely geared to finish up in the in the in the top two or three there. Uh If it weren't for the aerodynamic brick and me having to slow up, Uh that's the fact. I actually had to slow up because the car was scaring me (laughs) With, with the speed of it. And with the side wind, it was a very windy day that day, and the sun was shining, but mm-hmm. the wind was high, yeah. and um, I remember having to slow down.
2: Mm-hmm. And thankfully, we finished the rally, and mm-hmm. yeah. we did very well. So you had a couple of quiet years, then um, you a group in the Evo's, and you're out in Bertie's, you know, the ex-Bertie BMW for done a couple of events here and there. But then you want to the Toyota Celica for '95. Was it nice to be finally in the Ultimate Machine again, right?
1: Well, if the truth be told, I had to sell my rally cars to get the house finished. <laughs> 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 oh, oh my goodness. Oh, for, fortunately, we, we, we did. And then I, I hired a Mitsubishi, and uh, mm-hmm. we finished up in someone's World Championship Flower Garden, Rose, rose Garden. <laughs> oh, that didn't last very long. Um, yes, and then we, we, got, we got the M3.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And I bought that from Billy Conley at the time, Red Mills. What an amazing car. And that was Bertie Fisher's old car. Yeah. Uh-huh. That car, you know, was the only BMW that won a round of the World Championship rally uh-huh. at the time. And it's a very famous car. It's down in Cork at the moment.
3: Yeah.
1: Worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Serious amount of money. And Brian, just like that, we took that car to Cavan and uh, I remember we were racing four-wheel drive cars at the time and didn't the rain come in? I said, Brian, we're never going to win Cavan again with this car if we don't drive <laughs> her on. Yeah. On the last stage, I can remember clearly, I hit a bump and I stood her in her nose in the wet and I actually I did my back in. I, I got a prolapse prolapse disc from it. Right. I hit the click so hard. And James Lackey at the time, he had a four-wheel drive car and he was coming on very strong. And when the rain came in, fortunately we had enough lead built up to get to the finish line in the wet. Mm-hmm. My goodness, that was a scary run in the wet in that in that yes. AM3. Mm-hmm. And again, that was our test debut for for that car to, to go to come to Donegal then
3: uh-huh.
1: in the M three. Yes. Yeah. And I have no doubt you'll be able to tell me what happened to that car as well.
2: <laughs> um now you're asking me. You put me in the spot now. I can't remember actually Donegal that like, you you did do it. Um and my head is gone blank if I think
1: well I'll I'll let you know what happened. We yeah. were going really, 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 really well in that car across yeah. Nakala. Mm-hmm. And there was water coming off the side of the stage, and I remember moving to the left, uh-huh. coming across the crest, just right up at the top. And sideways we went. Oh yes, yeah. coming back mm-hmm. And we took sixteen concrete posts out, yes. <laughs> and stopped on the seventeenth one. <laughs> and how I know because the the jockstrap between the, the the seat and my legs every time we hit a post. Give, oh. give them, I give the, oh, it's right! <laughs> I give the belt a good chuck. Uh, there was no more children than the Esbit household after that.
3: No. <laughs> you won't like
1: a cowboy for a wee while after uh, that. <laughs> oh, and do you know what? Someone sent me. Someone sent me a couple of photographs. My son Graham got, got photographs sent to him there recently, and there it was: Brian and I standing on top of the hill,
3: mm-hmm.
1: on the mound, with. Only one wheel left on that car, and I remember the front right-hand wheel come off, hub, brake calibers, the whole lot. It was lying in the middle of the road, and I run over, and I picked it up, probably in bad temper, yeah. and I threw it. Mm-hmm. Well, here did, and the wheel take off and rolled and rolled and rolled. The next thing, it disappeared over the cliff. <laughs> I swear to God, it disappeared over the cliff at a rate of knots. And there's a photograph of Brian and I standing as if we're smiling,
3: yeah,
1: laughing, but we, we, it wasn't a laughing matter. The wheel. wheel took off anyway. And someone got a photograph of that, and it's there, it's available to be seen.
3: Yeah,
1: Wheel took off, and about a half an hour later, we were, Jean Megan and all the rally team were getting the car gathered up. A... Oh my goodness! I, I can see this yet. This old gentleman come walking up the side of the hill, and the closer he got to me, the more I realised he was like wearing fisherman gear. You know, he, those those big long boots on him. And, and I remember Jeffrey Brown, who was looking after all my rally cars at the time. I have to give Jeffrey a mention. He was brilliant. Mm-hmm. All of my rally cars never broke down. Only I put them off the road. I I had such a Great run of luck with, with Jeffrey uh, at the time. He, he was amazing looking after my car, and then De Garvey, and Stephen Stoops. All of these guys were brilliant. Uh, and they never got paid. It uh-huh. was just one of these things that they loved doing, was looking after the rally cars. But I remember them pulling the car out anyway, the putter on the trailer, and this old man came up, and he says, well boys, did you, uh, did you happen to lose a wheel by any chance? I says, I we lost three wheels actually. Well he says I was at the bottom of the cliff fishing in my boat. And he says this wheel hit the water and it jumped about twenty feet in the air and back down again. And he says it disappeared. He says it nearly killed me. Well I says, I am glad that you can tell the tale. He says that thing come over the cliff. He says it must have been five hundred feet down. And here, that poor creature could have been killed in, in the boat. Yes. And we wouldn't have known where he went. Oh. <laughs> he was the luckiest, blessed man I know in Donegal. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and that's where the wheel went. Yes. So she's sitting at the bottom of that cliff I, somewhere.
2: Anybody's <laughs> ever looking for a wheel
1: for them three? Right? <laughs> yeah, well, if if there's those snorkelling boys that you know, do the diving, yes. <laughs> ever want to find a complete wheel rim, uh-huh. Brembo calibers, brakes, and disc. It's yeah. set at the bottom
2: of that cliff. No, but that would be that, a
1: challenge. Yeah. That would be a challenge for the divers. I can tell them exactly where it is. Yeah. But Under years' time, know.
2: somebody snorkeling and finds this. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: so that's what happened. The M three. Yeah. Um,
2: uh-huh. uh, so, hey, then you went, went on to the Celica Then after that, um, what was you know was it nice to be jumping into like a car that was going to give you the opportunity to compete along with fishers and. McHales and these guys in equal terms now at this stage? It was an amazing
1: car. We, Gene Megan and I went over to Belgium along with Kenny McKinstry at the time and there was a couple of people worked for the Toyota Celica team, the TTE.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And we went over with the with the intention of trying to do a deal. And there was a guy in who was the general manager at the time of Toyota TTE at the time, Richard Cregan. From Dublin, and I remember meeting up with him after the rally in Belgium. It was the de Spa Rally, and Marco Elaine was driving, and all the top names were competing that weekend. And I decided, Gene and I decided, if we brought enough money over, we'd maybe have enough to buy an Ulug.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Was well, here when we were there? Gene said to me, Andrew, if we got, if we bought two, do you think would they give us fifteen percent discount? And lo and behold, we were in the pub that night, talking rally talk, talking rubbish most of the time. And there was this guy, Bruce, he was a New Zealander who was running the rally team for TTE. And I remember getting up against this fireplace and saying, Bruce, you have to sell us the car. In fact, we'll buy two. And he thought we were talking gobbledygook at the time, which Mm -hmm. it probably was. And and the next morning I got up anyway, Gene says, Andrew, you take the train and go go on down to TTE there and do the deal for the two. And there's a few pounds with it. And I landed in, wrapped the door into TTE and I asked for Richard Cregan and I asked for this guy, Bruce. Mm -hmm. Can't think of the second name. And they met me at the door. And he said, oh, what are you here for, Andrew? I says, I'm here for the two cars. We did the deal last night. Oh, he says, I thought you were only joking. Oh, I says, I wasn't joking. And lo and behold, Richard said to him, he says, if you've done a deal with that man for two cars, you've got to honor it. So let's find them two cars. Okay. And we bought the two rally, World Rally cars. And I remember getting these stainless steel uh, fuel tanks with it and 40 rims and tires and shafts and gearboxes. You talk about the amount of stuff. He says, how are you going to get this home? Oh, I says, Nell McGuire has a 40-foot lorry sitting outside here to take the whole lot. With. <laughs> we bought, we paid for the two cars, and we took the whole lot with us on the spot. <laughs> and that's how those cars came to Ireland. And thanks to Richard Cregan for for making it happen. Yeah. Uh, he was a great guy.
3: Uh-huh. So
1: um, then we, we, we came
2: with the, um, with
1: the World Rally cars, as you know.
2: And... Uh-huh. Um, Ninety six. I Nin, uh, ninety five years, sort of like you. kind of the building year, hadn't you? You kind of sensible enough. You had seconds, thirds, all that kind of thing. And then really ninety five.
1: Yeah, I, I kept it together. That's uh-huh. what yeah. you're really trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't crush it's you didn't crash, Okay, it's okay. <laughs> we we haven't got to the start of my international rally wins yet. No. Really. <laughs> yeah, we we had a, we had a great time in the car uh-huh. and. Yeah. So, 96 came along
3: uh-huh.
1: and that was really the year that we, we, we had a real good cut at it. Yeah. And I never thought I could win a, a, an international rally ever. Mm-hmm. But it was Gall, and I remember the pace was so fast. All the big names were there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Barty Fisher, Os McHale, to mention but a few, they were all at it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And to, to, get, to, to get in amongst them, was yeah. fantastic and to win was even more more mm-hmm. challenging yes. and i will say to you the first win is always the sweetest right. it was yeah. just amazing
3: mm-hmm. uh
1: to win my favorite rally in the world favorite county in the world yeah. uh in that toyota silica which was a works car mm-hmm. from start to finish yeah. the biggest problem i had was it was left hand drive mm-hmm. and i went on to Every rally car after that was always left-hand drive, which mm-hmm. I'll come to in a moment as to why. But we we won won that rally and to come into Letterkenny and thousands and thousands of people, it was just an amazing feeling mm-hmm. that year.
2: Yeah, I, cause I, I was looking over the times there recently, and like the whole weekend, the slowest time you were was third fastest. Like that was like you were there to win. It wasn't you weren't there to finish second that weekend. You were going to win that rally. Like. And I think there was a few seconds between you and Bertie, James Cullen was only a few seconds behind that again and then Bertie said off the road, you get into the lead and that was it, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't going home <laughs> without that champagne in your pocket, were you? Well, that you know what, that was
1: the first year and you, you, James Cullen was very a very difficult man to beat in Donegal, very talented driver and we all know the talent that man had. Mm-hmm. And any time he came up against them in Donegal, you knew you had your work cut out. Yeah. Same with Bertie Fisher as well, yeah.
3: mm-hmm.
1: Vincent Bonner, all those boys, they were tough, tough competitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really to get into the mix amongst them was you know, a lifelong dream. Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd ever win an international, but uh, when the pace was there, it was a matter of trying to control it. Mm-hmm because my records show that I had good days and I also had some bad days.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So I after Donegal then um, things didn't go quite to plan. No,
1: Donegal in nineteen ninety six was I had probably had the highest. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, feeling of success ever when I won the, the 1996 Donegal Rally. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, within a month of that, I had the highest low <laughs> mm. ever in my life. I, you know, everyone knows I had a, a huge road accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were coming down to the family caravan that John Lyons had helped us get down at Marble Hill. And you know, there's another man that needs to be mentioned, John Lyons. What a driver as well. Yeah.
3: Uh-huh.
1: He was such a champion in the hills of Donegal. Yeah. And as we know, he's he won the, the Donegal International Rally twice, I believe. Yep, yeah.
3: yeah. uh-huh.
1: So he was one of my idols. Yeah,
3: completely. Another, one
1: another idol and was a great man, himself and Wendy, encouraging me you know, to keep at it and to win. And that was what what it was all about. And I had great friends, like Tony Kelly was a great sponsor of yes. James Cullen at the time, and mm-hmm. and the Four Lanterns, and all of those guys, you know, supported James really well, mm-hmm. really fast driver. And those were the people that I always wanted to compete against. But anyway, I had this I was coming down to the caravan anyway, and I had a road accident and I had the biggest road accident, you know, it was terrible, I I remember hitting a rock on the side of the road, back left hand side of, it was an M3 that I was just after getting, uh, to celebrate the Donegal International Rally win, believe it or not, and I hit the wheel, and all of a sudden it, it went into this pendulum effect where the car just went sideways from one side of the road to the other, up the road, and then it it gripped and went side was side over side. It rolled about four times and then the nose of it caught and it went end over end. And I was just like a doll in the car rolling about. I had my seatbelt on, but my hands the, the windows went out of the car and did my hands start flying all over the place. And I remember in the mid in the middle of the, the accident saying, Please God, don't hurt me. And all of a sudden, the car finished upside down and my arm outside the roof. I didn't know my arm was outside the roof because of what had happened. And it was only when I released the belt to get out of the car that Uh one, it was upside down and I, I landed on the head cloth. Right. And I went to squeeze myself out of the car and realized my arm is underneath the roof. Yeah so that was a horrendous situation mm-hmm. and I didn't know how bad it was or how broken it was it turned out to be a compound fracture it was really bad breaks it was complete it was a complete mush actually and I remember saying to myself I have to get out of this and I had to, like a contortionist, contortionist I had to Put my left leg around my arm and squeeze my body, and squeeze and squeeze my way out through what was a roof that was down, mm-hmm. and it was only held up by the headrest of the car, the M three. Right. It was a solid headrest, yeah. and that saved me. Uh-huh. That really did save me. But to move my 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 whole body around my arm, because it wouldn't move, it it was going nowhere. Uh That took me probably all of 30 minutes, just to get my main body out Uh of the car, because every inch you moved, you get jammed. Uh And at some point, I could have basically got jammed,
3: Uh but I
1: squeezed it, squeezed away until I got out. And then I had to step back over my arm again and go through the whole process in a 360 degree fashion yes. to get my arm twisted back into the way it was normally yes. positioned which was uh-huh. the, the, the top of the arm was facing the roof and to this day uh, you can see it there
3: yes.
1: I had the, the mark
3: uh-huh.
1: where the paint um, was on this the, the paint of the roof of the car actually soaked its way into my arm and, and give me a nice little staining
3: yeah.
1: on my skin forever. So, mm, so lucky to have my arm, I can tell you. Yeah. So I, I remember sitting outside that car that night, and it was an old railway embankment that used to take the, the trains from, uh, from Letter- the castle Letter- right right through to Letterkenny, and yeah. I, I was sitting there anyway. Glenveagh Castle railway. Yeah. And I remember sitting on the side of it saying to myself, how are you ever going to get out of this? And it was cars, funny driving past that night. And I went in at 10 to 10
3: uh-huh.
1: and just around half 10, I'm sitting outside the car and every car that came past, I shouted and I shouted so much. I lo- you know, my voice got hearse. I No one would heard me obviously didn't. Yeah. And there I was, Until the next morning, trapped with my arm underneath the roof. I'm sitting outside the car. And I remember opening the door of the car then. It Mm -hmm. it wasn't hard to open. It was in bits anyway. Mm -hmm. And didn't the front keys of my house fall onto my knees?
3: Right.
1: And I said to myself, I remember watching a program probably... A week to 10 days before that at home with my kids,
3: right.
1: my children, Matthew and, and Graham. Mm-hmm. And there was this little mole mowing, And I remember saying to myself at the scene of the accident, if the mole was fit to dig its way through the soil and the ground, I surely can do the same thing with the front key of the house. Right. And I started sawing and cutting the earth uh-huh. below my arm. Right. And I dug and I dug until I couldn't dig anymore. And... What was there in front of me? Only sally rods that I had pulled down right. with the car going through the accident. Yeah. And the sally rods blocked me from going any further. And I remember saying to myself, you know, I don't want anybody else rearing my children. I have to get these sticks cut. Yeah. And and that was the fight that was in me.
3: Uh-huh.
1: I wanted to get home. I want to get out, first of all, get out of the accident. Yeah. Get to hospital and, and all of the things that think you can think of, yeah. and I started digging again. But I used the key of the, the front key of the house to cut the sally rods. And as I cut the sally rods, the key cut into my finger, and to this day it's there,
3: yeah,
1: the marks, and the pain. The pain was excruciating. It was really, really tough going. Mm-hmm. And about four o'clock in the morning, I'm cutting away anyway. Half three, four o'clock, I could see this darkness coming above me. And I'm going, there's the rain coming. It wasn't rain. It was every midget. It was every midge that was ever in the bog in Donegal. They all yeah. arrived to the party.
3: Uh-huh. It, was,
1: it was so bad. There was millions and millions of them landed. And they decided to have a feast day on me. Uh-huh. And they started eating me and they eat me alive, it was just horrendous. Mm-hmm. They got in under my arm, they got in under my skin, they got in under my legs. I, I don't have to tell you where they got to. No. And the pain, they eat me so badly I was bleeding.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm now allergic yeah. to those mosquitoes, because that's what they are. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: They, they eat me alive in that bog that night. And I remember saying to God, look at, I don't have any more pain, just eat away. Look, there is no more pain. And I remember going through that pain threshold where I couldn't feel any pain. And at the same time, I announced to myself, I rubbed my face with the bog soil to stop them eating me. And I remember my ears and everything, they were into my ears and, oh. And I said, right, continue on, Andrew. So with my left hand, Mm -hmm. I started digging uh, with the key, and I eventually got to a point where I could feel my hand underneath the car with my left hand, Uh and I went to pull pull my hand out, and I pushed my hand in past these sally rods, and guess what happened? The man above decided to give me another lesson. The sally rods caught my left hand, and I couldn't go anywhere. Completely trapped. There I was, two hands completely under the car, trapped, and I remember saying, "Look at, please, let me go." I'm yeah. here. I am. I can feel my hand. Uh-huh. I didn't know what condition it was. I just wanted to get out of there, and it, oh my goodness, it was horrendous. So the lesson was, when my hand was in there, I tried to pull it out. The sally rods caught me yeah like a hook like a fish hook Uh and about 15 minutes later i realized if i turn my hand to the left or to the right it might release and guess what it released i got my hand out i didn't put it back in i can tell you Uh and i got the left hand out and i continued then to break the sally rods with the belt that i had on me right remember getting it off and i broke the belt four times right Breaking those sticks, yeah. to the belt was no longer available to me,
3: uh-huh.
1: and out of nowhere, out of nowhere, didn't my tie land out of the car beside me? Yeah, silk tie that I had on previously that day, and that continued to break the sticks. That tie was the savior of me. It saved me. Uh-huh. Uh, it was so strong, I was fit to lap it around my my wrist.
3: Uh-huh
1: get my knee against the car and continue to pull and break the sally rods. And at about 10 past six, did my hand come out and I released it. I remember kissing it saying, oh, am I glad to see you? And <laughs> yeah. I, I, tied, I tied my arm to my chest and, and what was left of my hand and, and wrist, because it was flopping, which was just yeah. like a piece of, anyway, just slop, flopping around and tied, tied my hand and got out onto the road to try and stop a car and this car came screeching up to me, stood in the brakes, lifted the foot of the brakes and accelerated and drove off. They probably thought I was an old, maybe I don't know, gypsy or something
3: yeah. on
1: the side of the road but no one stopped and I had to walk then for one solid mile and I remember saying to myself stay on the left hand side of the road where the yellow markings are because if you faint you'll most likely fall into the ditch. Yeah. Whereas if I walked the uh-huh. middle of the road, and I fell or, or fainted, the mm-hmm. car was most likely to come and run over me.
3: Yeah.
1: And I walked for a mile to this lovely old man's house, Hugh McGinley, and rapped the door. I actually kicked the door actually. And, and he says, get away, get away. I says, no, I'm after having a car accident. I need your help. And he came down the stairs, opened the door, followed by his sister. What a lovely woman and she was just home from on holidays with her husband and she's seen the condition of me and okay. she run upstairs took the bedclothes off her bed come back down and um wrapped me up with her bedclothes and can i tell you that was the nicest feeling
2: i could imagine yeah like, i
1: realized i was alive
2: uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
1: that's that's what it meant to me at the time yeah and um yeah off we went then he got me into his wee ford orion and uh-huh. off to the hospital in letter kenny mm-hmm. and i swear to god he he didn't cross 15 mile an hour the whole time and i'm going we need to be a little bit faster than this i was saying to myself i mean we yeah. got to the mountaintop i said to him you could nearly free me from here uh-huh. meaning yeah if he would get her out of gear she might have went a wee bit Go faster <laughs> And we, Anyway, he says, no, I don't want to go too hard, son, because I, I don't want to hurt you. And that was his, he was so caring, uh-huh. he didn't want to hurt me. And we eventually got to the hospital and his brother-in-law run in and the doctors came out. And one boy came out with a tube of morphine and a needle. And my, I remember the trousers been dropped on the spot and the morphine in. And they, they looked at the injury and it was so bad. It was so bad that uh, I had to then head for Belfast. Right. But I never made it to Belfast. I was going to see a specialist in Belfast. At this point, Tony Kelly and, and Linda and the whole team had gathered up and met me at the hospital. and We headed for Belfast, but we stopped in Alton Galvin on the way.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And I met this great man called Sean Simpson. He was a specialist uh, at the time. With all the troubles back in the north of Ireland and Ireland for that matter,
3: uh-huh. these
1: guys were used to putting people together. Right. And he looked at my injury. He says, "This is a you have no idea how bad this is, and I believe you're going to meet a Mr. Calderwood uh-huh. in Belfast." Now that was organised by John and Wendy Lyons for me to go and see that specialist in Belfast. Uh-huh. And he says, "If you don't mind me saying, he's a great surgeon, and there are two people in." In Northern Ireland that can deal with this, He's one of them. And I'm the second one. Right. I'm the other one.
3: Yeah.
1: And he says, you do not have time to go to Belfast. Uh-huh. And I remember saying to him, you're my man. Let's get <laughs> on with it. <laughs> so he's, he wheeled me down into, wheeled me down into theater. Uh-huh. And I remember this so clearly. He said to me, "Now before I, I knock you out for the operation, have you any questions you'd like to ask me?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I said, yes, uh, Sean, there is. I want to know when I'll be back rallying. Mm-hmm. I want, no, my words were, when will you be back racing again?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And he says, what do, you, what do you want to know that for? I, I says, I'm, I'm after winning the Donegal International Rally. He says, is that you? <laughs> I says, that's me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he says, well, here, that's up to you. Yeah. That's up to you. Mm-hmm. And I never knew what he meant. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you later on what he meant. Yeah. But he says, that's up to you. And all I remember was through the operation, coming out the other end, and I woke up and my arm and hand was up in the air on a sling above yes. my head. And there, there it was.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember the nurse saying, uh, Mr. Simpson has asked us to... Make sure you get bathed after you come round.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And I said, Oh, right, okay, East, because you didn't have time to get cleaned up. Right. That wasn't the reason at all. It was to get the midges off, out of my body and skin. It took all of one week Uh to get the midges out of, away from situation that I was in so that was the start of the recovery process Uh in 96 and I remember Sean saying to me it'll take uh, one millimetre per day Uh and you're 365 millimetres away from recovering which meant a year Uh are you saying to me it'll be a year before I'm rallying again, I says nonsense I'll be back rallying before that I know I'm going to miss the Cork rally But I might make it for Galway the next year.
3: Uh
1: And there we had to start the whole process of recovery. Mm
0: -hmm. That was part one of my conversation with Andrew Nesbitt. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you do like it, can you please like and share across all social media platforms? And if you're listening to that podcast, can you please rate the podcast? It would be gratefully appreciated. The next part will be online next week and that's every bit as enjoyable as this bit so we'll speak to you soon and take care